This is Bethesda Broadcast, episode number 15. Today, you get to hear a message from Anthony Lind, lead pastor at Bethesda Church. Anthony is sharing from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34, where we will be looking at the question, Whom do you serve? Open up your Bibles and join us in Matthew chapter 6. Never ceases to amaze me how God even orchestrates a Sunday morning service. Um, I mean, I tell, I told Lorena uh, the passage. Pastor Roy usually tells, you know, the passage and just the songs that she chooses, and even um, the offertory special this morning. How God, um, through His Spirit, I think, works in people's hearts to kind of weave everything together. It's just really neat to see. Um, see it almost every Sunday, but it's still amazing to see. Uh, The title this morning, uh, the message is, Whom Will You Serve? And uh, Daniel Gilbert, citing a recent, uh, fairly recent, the last few years, Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index said, and this is a quote, that Americans are smiling less, worrying more than they were a year ago, that happiness is down and sadness is up, and that we are getting less sleep, smoking more cigarettes, and that depression is on the rise. He says, the real problem is not financial, he said. It's not that people don't have enough money. It's that people don't know what's going to happen. Will I have a job next week? What's ahead in the future for me? The future seems ominous, or at the very least uncertain, and that uncertainty puts people on edge. Professor Gilbert referred to a Dutch experiment, they'd never be able to do this in the U.S., where researchers told one group of people that they would receive 20 strong shocks. The researchers then told a second group that they would only receive three strong shocks and 17 mild ones, but they wouldn't know when the strong ones were were coming. The results? Subjects in the second group sweated more and experienced faster heart rates, it was the uncertainty that caused their discomfort, not the intensity of the shocks. Another study showed that colostomy patients who knew that their colostomies would be permanent were happier six months after their procedures than those who were told there might be a chance of reversing their colostomies. Once again, uncertainty caused the unhappiness. Daniel Gilbert concluded An uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. Our national gloom is real enough, but it isn't a matter of insufficient funds. It's a matter of insufficient certainty. Um, How many of us are living with insufficient certainty this morning? It may not be a huge financial crisis or a health crisis, Um, But there's just an insufficient certainty uh, that we feel. Even if if you're not feeling that at this point, I'm guessing at some point in the past, and I'm pretty sure at some point in the future, you're going to be in a situation where there's just this insufficient certainty that you feel. And I really think that our outlook in those times of insufficient certainty boils down to who are we choosing to serve? So if you open up your Bibles, we're in Matthew 6. Uh, We're going to start in verse 19. 
We're going to look at the question this morning of whom will you serve? How you answer that question really determines everything. It determines your outlook, your actions, and the decisions that you make. And I'll apologize to those of you that are taking notes, especially the younger ones. I'm not as organized this morning as Pastor Roy is, but you'll come up with something. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, I'm just going to read through 24 to begin with. And this is Jesus talking um, on the Sermon on the Mount. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that he, he went up on a mountain after seeing the crowds, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And this is one of the things that he said. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He will, he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in this first section, we see two possible answers to the question of whom will you serve. You, at the end, it, it kind of goes at the end, it, it gives you the two possible answers. You can either serve God, or you can serve um, the NIV puts it money. Some of your translations may say mammon or just kind of the ident- uh, general idea of riches. It's not necessarily focused on money, um, but the gen- general idea of riches or material things. So those are, those are the two answers of whom will you serve. And we see in this section that he uses two treasures and two eyes and two masters to help us figure out where are you at in that question. So he starts off with the two treasures. Um, And I think what, what he's saying there is that which one you are pursuing tells you who you are serving. So there's only, there's only two treasures. There's only two places to store treasure. You can store treasures in heaven or you can store treasures on earth. And he doesn't really go into great detail about, well, this is what treasures on earth are. He doesn't give you a bunch of list of descriptions. Or this is what treasures in heaven look like. What does he say? There's only one descriptor to differentiate between these two. Is that one can be destroyed or stolen or decay and the other cannot. That's the only thing to differentiate between where the treasure, what treasure you are pursuing. And the key um, is verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Implying that if you're storing up treasures on earth, your heart is on earth. If you're storing up treasures in heaven, your heart is in heaven. Your, your life is secure in heaven. So, when we look at that, how, what do we, how do you say, well, how do I know? Am I storing up treasures in heaven? Am I storing up treasures in earth? It seems a little bit vague because he only gives us the one descriptor. 
Um, but I think two things that can really tell where you're storing up treasure that are kind of a, 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 a gauge, if you will, or a snapshot of what you treasure and where your treasure is, is um, if we pulled out your bank statement and your calendar, right? Or your phone with whatever your appointments on it. What we choose to spend our time and our money on really tell us where our treasure is. Because if we're choosing to invest in it through time, through money, and resources, uh, we think that that's valuable. And that's what a treasure is, uh, something that's valuable. You're, you're putting your time, your money, your resources to it. And for every one of us, the struggle is different, right? I think that's probably one of the reasons he doesn't go into and give you a bunch of lists because he created us all different. And so, you know, for me, it may be, you know, one thing that I struggle with putting treasure in, in, on earth. Uh, for somebody else, it's, it's a totally different thing because we're all different. We're all unique. He didn't all make us the same, thankfully. Um, so if you look at your time, your money, where is your treasure? What are you choosing to treasure? He's saying that what you choose to treasure gives you a, a glimpse on what are you choosing to serve, which he gets to later in the passage, the, that answer to the, that question. So, like I said, for everyone, the struggle is different. You know, you may um, struggle and, and treasure material things or whatever it is. Um, and I, I thought of this as a parent. How would, how would my schedule look, our schedule as a family look, um, our, my priorities, um, especially in my, in my children, parenting my children, um, if I looked and thought, um, will, he or, will my daughters remember this when they're 60, 70, or 80 years old? Right? That's, that's, where, that's getting to the bottom of where is your treasure. If, we're, if I'm doing something and it's really it's not going to have it, or will this have a difference in their life and make them grow closer to Jesus and help them in 20, 30, 40 years? Right? That kind of gives you a snapshot of where is your treasure? Um, what are you choosing to pursue? What are you choosing to spend your time and your resources on? Um, a little bit of perspective, I think, gives us, helps us understand where are we at in, in searching and storing up those two things. So he goes from two treasures to um, two different sets of eyes in verses 22 and 23. Um, and here we have again... Uh, you've probably seen it, if you've read the Bible at all, the, the light and darkness um, illustration uh, that is, is throughout. You see that theme out throughout Scripture so much, often referring to light being good and darkness being evil. And he, Jesus uses that as a, as a help here when he talks about the eye is the lamp of the body. And that's, that's the key in this, this illustration. In a sense, the eye is your flashlight to guide your path. Uh, I remember I, I helped counsel at a Bible camp back in Montana um, in late high school and right out of high school years. And we used to play a game um, called Bible Smuggler, which what we did is they, they loaded all the kids on the bus and they took them and they set them on one like corner of camp. And what they had to do is they had their teams already out um, and they had to take, we'd give them a, a section of scripture and they had to write that, that section of scripture off, out in its verses. And then each kid would, would tear off a verse. And they'd have to take that verse and you know, put it somewhere on them. And they have, would have to try to sneak that verse from the bus, which is on one end of camp, all the way to a different building, which was way on the other side of camp. Kind of 
um, you know, kind of like you're uh, a Christian in a country who doesn't allow, you know, God's word to be spread, trying to smuggle a Bible, um, kind of th- that idea. And so the counselors had the fun job because we got to play the, the Russian mafia or whatever it was, the guys who, uh, who were trying to catch these, these Bible smugglers as they tried to smuggle verses across, um, across camp. And one year, I remember somebody gave me one of those, like, million power candle power um, spotlights. You know, the battery operated ones that are just like, they're like this big around. And so what I did is I crawled up onto one of the, the cabins, because it was, it was just a one-story thing. And I, I sat on the roof, and out, there was a field out kind of out there that a lot of the kids would try to sneak through. And all I'd have to do is I'd turn my, my million candle power flashlight on, and I, every like five or so minutes, I would just scan that field, and you'd just see little bodies dropping all over because they <laughs> didn't want to get hit, right? But that 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 flashlight, that spotlight, um, exposed them hidden in the darkness, um, and that's what he's kind of the idea behind the eye is the lamp of the body. It exposes um, the path before us. You know, uh, Psalm one nineteen hundred verse one hundred five says, "Your word is a lamp for my feet." A light on my path. And what we choose to focus on um, provides that light if we choose to focus on the right things. Um, if we choose to focus on God's word and him, then that will provide light for our path. If we choose to focus on the world and the things of this world, then your path is just going to be dark. So what are we focusing on? Again, it will tell you who are you choosing to serve. If you're, gonna, if you're choosing to serve God... You're focusing, you're going to focus on his word. You're going to focus on who Jesus is. You're going to focus on studying scripture and memorizing it. If you're not, if you're choosing to serve riches or the things of this world, you're going to focus and look at those things. Um, And it it boils down to as simple as the things that you watch on TV, the books you read, the movies you watch, the things that you look at on the internet. Or maybe it's not even the things that you see physically with your eyes, but it's the thoughts that you choose to dwell on. Um, is there anger or resentment or bitterness or envy that you, you're choosing to dwell on and hold on to um, that's, that's darkening your path, that's not allowing you to, to have that light for your path? Uh, so he's saying whatever, which one you choose, the, the, the eye that is good that focuses on the good things will be a light. The eye that is bad will not be a light. It'll be darkness to you. It's, it's a, a snapshot. How the two things that you serve, who are you choosing to serve? And then it boils down to um, verses 24 and verse 24 where he gets kind of to the heart of the matter. There's only two masters. You can't serve both. It says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he, he, he finalizes it, makes it nice and clear. You cannot serve both God and riches. So both of the previous illustrations, the two treasures and the two eyes, are pointing to who are you choosing as your master. Who are you choosing to serve? 
And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been address, addressing the whole idea of what is the internal motivation for your external beliefs. He, you know, he talks a lot about, he talks about fasting, he talks about prayer, he talks about um, giving, he talks about all these things, and he's saying, he's saying, you've seen the Pharisees do some of these things just as an external act, maybe even to be seen by men. Um, but Jesus is saying, what I want you to focus on is the internal um, motivation for doing for fasting, the internal motivation for giving, the internal motivation for prayer. Because when, it's, when the internal motivation is right, when your master that you've chosen is right, then the external will come and it'll be for the right reasons and it will be, um, it'll bring glory and honor to God. And he just continues that, right? That's, that's really the idea of um, even these two illustrations is that what's the internal motivation for seeking that treasure? Or what's the internal motivation for, um, for your eyes and the things that you focus on? <clears throat> Proverbs, um, and it's not the first time throughout the Bible that uh, we... The deceitfulness of riches has been brought up. Proverbs 11.28 says that those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. In Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, it says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And I think really what he's getting at, Jesus is getting at, is that every decision or every action that you make can really be traced back to who you are serving. If you're serving um, riches and the things of this world, um, then you're, you're focusing on things that are dark and not light, and your outcome is that you are really storing up treasure on earth. Um, and you, if you're storing up, you know, you think, well, I'm, you're, you're pursuing all these things here on earth. You trace that motivation back. It's really who are you choosing to serve? If you're choosing to serve God, then you're focusing on the things of God and his word and good things. And that will work out in storing up treasures in heaven. Things that last. Things that don't perish. Things that don't get stolen. Um, so what does that look like? I mean, if you think back... If, you, if your kids are in so many activities um, that you rarely have time for genuine fellowship with believers, that's the external what's happening in your life. If you trace that back, what does that tell you about who you serve? Um, you have a choice on Sunday morning to stay home or to come to church and fellowship with other believers. That's, that's a, a decision and an action that you've made. What does that trace back and say about who you serve? Um, or maybe you spend most of your time on hobbies and interests, um, like hunting, fishing, games, whatever it is. Um, sorry, ladies, I couldn't really think of a hobby and interest for you there. But um, if you spend your time on those things, in a sense, selfish interests, what is that? When you trace it back, that's the external behavior. What's the internal motivation? Who are you choosing to serve? Um, and I would say, you don't have to be rich to serve riches. Uh, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have to worry about that because I'm not that rich. I'm not very wealthy. I don't really have a whole lot of things. Um, I, I've spent enough time in inner city Chicago to know that you don't have to be rich to serve riches. You can hard have, hardly have anything and still serve riches. 
So who are you choosing to serve? Are you choosing to serve God or are you serving, choosing to serve riches? Um, and in Galatians, Paul, Paul even warned um, the Galatians, and not even a sense of warning, but he's, he's just kind of wondering, perplexed. In Galatians 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Uh, that's what you used to be. When you become a believer, it says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them, to, by them all over again? He's saying, you know, even as a believer, you can be, um, be tempted to, be, to go back, it says, to those weak and miserable forces and be enslaved again all over by them. He's, saying, he's basically saying, why would you do that? It's a rhetorical question. It's, that's, it's, that's beyond his reasoning. So who are you choosing to serve? It's amazing that we can focus on the things that don't matter and neglect the most important things in life, right? We've probably all been there. We've probably all done that. Leonard Ravenhill, who is a Christian evangelist and author, said it best. He said, Many of us are hunting mice while lions are devouring the land, right? We're choosing to focus on things that don't matter and neglect the most important things in life. Last quarter in uh, the ABF class that I facilitated, it was a video series by Chick, Chip Ingram called Balancing Life's Demands. And at one point in there, he, uh, he said that he had either he had seen an interview or he'd been able to interview people who he called centurions, people, men and women who had reached that 100 years, 100 years or older. And he said there was two things that came out in those people that had reached that 100-year mark or had passed it. They said there's two things that kind of throughout that interview that, that came out. The first thing is that they, that they said is they overemphasized their accomplishments and they underplayed, the second thing, they underplayed the importance of family and relationships. So when they got to that point and they were able to look back and they said there's two things in life. We overemphasized our own accomplishments and we underemployed the importance of family and relationships. So what are you choosing to focus on? Are you storing up treasure in heaven or on earth? Are you, are you focusing and having your eyes be good or bad? It, it will tell you who you are choosing to serve. If you, do say, if you do say, I'm sold out, I want to serve God, I want him to be my master, I want to be um, his servant, sometimes then the question may be, uh, you may be wondering, well, if I choose to totally surrender to God and serve Him, you know, and I, I give Him everything, um, I'm storing up treasures in heaven, I'm, I'm focusing on the things that are good, um, how am I going to provide for myself, right? That's, that's a natural question, and I think that's why Jesus launches into verses 25 to 34. <clears throat> it's kind of like the story of um, the rich executive who announced to his church one morning that he was going to give up all that he owned um, so that he could depend on his faith in God for everything he needed. So he sold everything, he gave it all to the poor, um, and he moved into a rented house on the bad side of town. The first night he prayed to God that God would give him some food. He would... The next morning he went outside to the porch, he opened the door, and there was nothing. There was no food. The second night he prayed again for the food. And the next morning, same thing, he opens up the door, there's nothing there. So the third night, he prayed again, and he said, Lord, if you do not feed me, I will surely die of starvation. The next morning, what do you think? Nothing. Then in a near panic, 
brought on by the hunger, he fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, I have put my faith in you on the line. Why are you ignoring me like this? In the quietness of that rented house, he heard the Lord tell him that his prayers had been answered. He was not looking at the answer. The Lord told him to go back out on the porch, which he did. Then the Lord told him to look up. A large sign on the building across the road in bold letters said, Workers Wanted. Lunch will be provided. God may not answer and, and provide for us like we, we think, uh, but I think that's why shortly after God is saying, Who are you serving? Um, he goes into verses 25 to 34, which I'm going to read at this point. Verse 25 starts out, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. You're going to see that phrase or that word worry or anxious a lot in these verses. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? So God uses the two basic necessities um, that we really need to survive, food um, and, and clothing, and in a sense, shelter, um, to survive. He says, you're, you're more than that. You don't need to worry about those things if you choose to surrender and to serve me. And then he goes on to say why we don't need to worry about that. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Question answer is yes. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And the obvious answer is nobody can. Verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? You see how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, probably one of the greatest kings to uh, the Jewish people, the most wealthy and the most wise. He says, Solomon, in all of his splendor, was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <clears throat> and in a sense, I, it, I don't like preaching because then God takes what you're supposed to be learning and asks you to apply it during the week. Um, and, and that was a big thing for me this week. Uh, do not worry about tomorrow. Um, but Jesus is basically saying another way you can gauge who you serve is how you handle those uncertain times in life. Um, and when we think about that end result, again, our, de- our decisions and the actions we make really shows us who we think is our provider. So we say Jesus is our master, but then some of those end decisions and actions we make, really, is that really what we believe? 
Um, do we believe that he is our provider, the one who is going to provide what we need? And Jesus promises that the key to the, that section is verse 33. He's, he promises that if you seek him and his righteousness, or serving him, he will provide our needs. Right? Not our wants, but our needs, which are two totally different things. And I, I don't really think that this section needs a whole lot of explanation. The question really is, what are you anxious about? Um, if, you, if you serve Jesus and you say that Jesus is your master, you have surrendered your life to him, um, and then you live in anxiety and fear about things, what is that saying about who you believe Jesus is? <clears throat> uh, one of the commentaries I, I was reading on this section, uh, they came across a good quote. It says, Worry is inappropriate or wrong when it is misdirected, is in wrong proportion, or indicates a lack of trust in God. Worry is inappropriate or wrong when it is misdirected, is in wrong proportion, or indicates a lack of trust in God. I'm not saying every time you worry is, is a lack of faith in God. Um, you can have concern and care for people. That's, that's valid. Um, but when it's misdirected, when it's, it's disproportionate, you're, you're always anxious. Or when it shows that there's a lack of trust in God is when it's wrong and when, it, when it's wrong. And like I said, Ian, it may not be food for you. It may not be clothes. Those are the examples that Jesus gives because in that day, he's talking to um, you know, people that are probably rural, not very wealthy, um, that that is what... That was what they were struggling with. But maybe for most of us, we live in America, you probably don't have to worry necessarily about your food or your clothes. Um, but the, the question is still the same. What are you anxious about? Are you anxious about things? Um, maybe you're anxious about how a relationship is going to work out, whether it's a family relationship um, or a, a work relationship or whatever it is, and you're just you're worried. You're always constantly thinking about it. Or you're anxious about all the things that you feel like you need to get done. That was my problem this week. I, had, I felt like I had all of these things that had to get done, and I was just constantly thinking about them and being anxious about them instead of just letting um, God take control and work things out. I'm not saying I don't do my part. I still work hard um, to do my part, but I was, I was overly concerned that, that anxiousness is disproportionate to my situation. Um, Maybe it is your, maybe it's your rent next month. Maybe it's your electric bill. Maybe it's a child um, or ch- your children that you're constantly anxious or worried about. And like I said, the key is verse 33. It says, Do, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I thought it was interesting that in verse, verse 33, verse 32 and 33, um, it's the same word. It says the pagans run after. That's the same word as um, in verse 33, seek. He's basically saying uh, it's a, it's a, shows your priorities. Um, the, the pagans, the unbelievers, um, seek these things, the, the physical, material things. They're focused on those. But you, as my disciples, who he's talking to, should seek first God and not worry about those other things. Because he says, I will, if you do that... All of those things, those physical things, will be given to you as well. <clears throat> so if you're struggling uh, with anxiety, what is that saying about who you serve? 
Um, it made me think of Philippians 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, another popular, probably well-known verse to you that says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. If you're struggling with that anxiousness and being worried about things, um, prayer and petitioning God with thanksgiving, bringing them to Him and asking Him to take control. So what are the end results, the actions, the decisions that you make every day saying about who you serve? Are you serving God or are you serving riches, the material things of this world? Um, just want to close with an illustration um, and just kind of preface it with don't get caught up in some of the words in the illustration, um, but try to listen to the heart of what this, um, this guy wrote and is trying to say. It says, At first I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there, sort of like the president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I didn't really know him. But later on, when I recognized this higher power, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike. Have you ever ridden that? You can ride them out at Putters and Scoops. Um, a tandem bike. <clears throat> and I noticed that God was on the back, helping me pedal. I don't know when it, just when it was that he suggested we change places. But life has not been the same since. Life with my God, that is. God makes life exciting. But when he took the lead, it was all I could do to hang on. He knew delightful paths up mountains, through rocky places, and at breakneck speeds. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer, and I started to learn trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into adventure. When I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me their gifts to take on my journey, our journey, God's and mine. And then we were off again. He'd say, give the gifts away, they're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met, and I have found that in giving I received, and our burdens became light. At first I did not trust him in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it, but he knows bike secrets, knows how to make it lean to take sharp corners, dodge large rocks, and speed through scary passages. And I am learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful constant companion. And when I'm sure I just can't do it anymore, he just smiles and says, pedal. So who are you choosing to serve? When you surrender and choose to serve God, um, he, will, he will provide all your needs and it will be uh, that adventure if you allow him and have that faith, so like some of the songs that we talked about. Um, so in closing, if you just want to uh, bow your heads and close your eyes um, and think about that question, who are you serving? Where are you storing up treasure? It made me think of Joshua 24. And where Joshua says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. 
But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Where are you spending your time, your talent, and your treasures? Who are you choosing to serve? And what is the decisions and the actions you make really saying about what you believe and who you say you serve? Or maybe you're here today and God is speaking to you and he's convicting you that you've never surrendered your life to him. You've never chosen to serve him. You're a slave to those weak and miserable forces that this world offers and you desire more and you, you, you want more. You don't want your life to live, you don't want to live your life in insufficient certainty. Jesus' message is still the same today as it was all those years ago when he said, repent. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you're not sure how to do that, um, come see me, come talk to Pastor Roy, find an elder, find a deacon. Don't leave without finding out how to surrender your life to God. Dear God, I just ask, thank you so much for your word. Um, and I thank you that you are sovereign and you are in control and you desire um, to meet our needs. Um, if we just seek you, um, we have to do our part, Father. Just thank you so much um, for allowing us to serve you even and for sending your Holy Spirit to to adopt us and bring us into your family. I pray that you'd help us, that your Holy Spirit would convict us, um, would help us to really uh, figure out who are we serving. Um, Are we serving you or are we serving um, riches in the things of this world? I pray that as we go out, you would help us to uh, be that light even to other people that we come across and they see um, that we don't live in uncertainty and that we live with hope and peace and joy. Um, Not because of our situations, but because of you and what you've done for us. Just ask that you would uh, go out and be with us as we um, go throughout our daily activities this week. And that you would lead and guide us. And that everything we do and everything we say would be for your glory and your honor and kingdom. Because you are our master. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you have any questions or want to know more about our church, please go to our website at www.bchweb.org or find us on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.